CD4 Vimes always preferred to walk by himself, and now there were two of him walking by himself. It was a strange sensation, and gave him the impression that he was looking through a mask. No, not like that, he said. I always have to teach people to walk. You swing the foot like this. Get it right and you can keep going all day. You're not in a hurry. You don't want to miss things. Yes, Sarge, said young Sam. It was called proceeding. Vimes proceeded along Treacle Mine Road and felt magnificent. Of course there were lots of things to worry about, but right here and now all he had to do was patrol and it felt fine. Not much paperwork in the old watch. In fact, come to think of it, he'd probably doubled it. All he had to do right now was his duty, as he'd been taught it. He had nothing to do but be himself. Young Sam wasn't saying much. That was good sense. "'I see you got a bell there, lad,' said Vimes after a while. "'Yes, Sarge.' "'Regulation bell?' "'Yes, Sarge. Sergeant Knock gave it me.' "'I'll bet he did,' thought Vimes. "'When we get back, just you swap it for someone else's. Doesn't matter whose. No one'll say anything.' "'Yes, Sarge,' Vimes waited. "'Bye, Sarge. A bell's a bell.' "'Not that one,' said Vimes. "'That's three times the weight of the normal bell. "'They give it to rookies to see what they do. "'Did you complain?' "'No, Sarge.' "'That's the way. "'Keep quiet and pass it on to some other sucker when we get back. "'That's the copper's way. "'Why did you come into the job, lad?' "'My mate Iffy joined last year. "'He said you got free food and a uniform "'and you could pick up the extra dollar here and there. "'That'd be... If he's Scarrick station over in the Dolly Sisters' house, then, said Vimes. And you've been picking up the odd dollar, have you? They walked in silence for a moment. Then Sam said, Have I got to give that dollar back, Sarge? Are you worth a dollar? said Vimes. I gave it our mum, Sarge. Did you tell her how you got it? I didn't want it, Sam blurted out, but Corporal Quirk said, Was he worth listening to? Dunno, Sarge. You don't know? "'I bet your mum didn't bring you up to think like that,' said Vimes. "'No, she bloody well didn't,' he thought. "'She'd tan your eye, copper or not, if she knew it was a dodgy dollar.' "'No, Sarge. But they're all at it, Sarge. "'I don't mean the lads, Sarge, but you only have to look around the city. "'Our rent's going up, taxes go up. "'There's these new taxes all the time, and it's all just cruel, Sarge. It's cruel. "'Wind has sold us all to his mates, and that's a fact, sir.' "'Hm,' said Vimes.' Oh, yes, tax farming. What a clever invention. Good old Winder. He'd flogged the right to collect taxes to the highest bidders. What a great idea. Nearly as good as banning people from carrying weapons after dark. Because, A, you saved the cost of tax collectors and the whole revenue business. B, you got a wagon load of cash up front. And C, the business of tax gathering then became the business of groups of powerful yet curiously reticent people who kept out of the light. However... They employed people who not only went out in the light, but positively blocked it. And it was amazing what those people found to tax, up to and including looking at me, pal. What was it Veterinary had said once? Taxation is just a sophisticated way of demanding money with menaces. Well, the tax farmers were very unsophisticated in the way they went about recouping their investment. He remembered those days, these days. The city had never seemed poorer but by the gods there was a lot of tax being paid. Hard to explain to a kid like Sam why poncing a dollar when you got the chance was a bad thing to do. Put it like this, Lance Constable, as they turned the corner. Would you let a murderer off for a thousand dollars? 
No, sir. A thousand dollars would set your mum up in a nice place in a good part of town, though. Knock it off, Sarge. I'm not like that. You were when you took that dollar. Everything else is just haggling over the price. They walked in sullen silence. Then, Am I going to get the sack, Sarge? said the Lance Constable. For a dollar? No. I'd just as soon be sacked, Sarge. Thanks all the same, said young Sam defiantly. Last Friday we had to go and break up some meeting over near the university. They were just talking. And we had to take orders from some civilian. And the Cable Street lads are a bit rough and... It's not like the people had weapons or anything. You can't tell me that's right, Sarge. And then we loaded some of them into the hurry-up just for talking. Mrs Owlsley's boy, Elson, never came home the other night, too. And they say he was dragged off to the palace just for saying his lordship's a loony. Now people down our street are looking at me in a funny way. Ye gods, I remember, thought Vimes. I thought it was all going to be chasing men who gave up after the length of a street and said, it's a fair cop, governor. I thought I'd have a medal at the end of the week. You want to be careful what you say, lad, he said. Yeah, but our mum says it's fair enough if they take away the troublemakers and the weirdies, but it's not right them taking away ordinary people. Is this really me, Vimes thought? Did I really have the political awareness of a headlouse? Anyway, he is a loony. Snapcase is the man we ought to have. And the self-preservation instincts of a lemming. Kid, here's some advice. In this town, right now, if you don't know who you're talking to... Don't talk. Yeah, but Snapcase says, listen. A copper doesn't keep flapping his lip. He doesn't let on what he knows. He doesn't say what he's thinking. No. He watches and listens and he learns and he bides his time. His mind works like mad, but his face is a blank. Until he's ready. Understand? All right, Sarge. Good. Can you use that sword you have there, lad? I did the training, yeah. Fine. Fine, the training, fine. So if we're attacked by a lot of sacks of straw hanging from a beam, I can rely on you. And until then, shut up. Keep your ears open and your eyes peeled and learn something. Snapcase is the man to save us, he thought glumly. Yeah, I used to believe that. A lot of people did. Just because he rode around in an open carriage occasionally and called people over and talked to them, the level of the conversation being on the lines of, So you're a carpenter, are you? Wonderful. What does that job entail? Just because he said publicly that perhaps taxis were a bit on the high side. Just because he waved. You've been here before, Sarge, said Sam as they turned a corner. Oh, everyone's visited Ank Moorpork, lad, said Vimes jovially. Only we're doing the Elm Street beats perfectly, Sarge, and I've been letting you lead the way. That was the kind of trouble your feet could get you into. A wizard once told Vimes that there were monsters up near the hub that were so big they had to have extra brains in their legs because they were too far away for one brain to think fast enough. And a beat copper grew brains in his feet. He really did. Elm Street, left into the pits, left again into the scours. It was the first beat he'd ever walked, and he could do it without thinking. He had done it without thinking. I'll do my own work, he said. Did you recognise Ned? said Sam. Perhaps it was a good thing that he was leaving his feet to their own devices because Vimes's brain suddenly filled with warning bells. Ned, he said. Only before you came, he said he thought he remembered you from Pseudopolis, said Sam, oblivious to the clamour. He was in the day watch there before he came here because of better promotion prospects. Big man, he said. Can't say I recall him, said Vimes with care. You're not all that big, Sarge. 
Well, Ned was probably shorter in those days, said Vimes, while his thoughts shouted, Shut up, kid. But the kid was, well, him, niggling at little details, tugging at things that didn't seem to fit right, being a copper, in fact. Probably he ought to feel proud of his younger self, but he didn't. You're not me, he thought. I don't think I was ever as young as you. If you're going to be me, it's going to take a lot of work. Thirty damn years of being hammered on the anvil of life, you poor bastard. You've got it all to come. Back at the watch house, Vimes wandered idly over to the evidence and lost property cupboard. It had a big lock on it, which was not, however, ever locked. He soon found what he was looking for. An unpopular copper needed to think ahead, and he intended to be unpopular. Then he had a bite of supper and a mug of the thick brown cocoa on which the night watch ran, and took Sam out on the hurry-up wagon. He'd wondered how the watch was going to play it, and wasn't surprised to find they were using the old dodge of obeying orders to the letter with gleeful malignancy. At the first point he made, Lance Corporal Coates and Constable Waddy were waiting with four sullen or protesting insomniacs. Four, sir, said Coates, ripping off a textbook salute. All we've apprehended, sir. All written down on this chitty, what I am giving to you at this moment in time, sir. Well done, said Vimes dryly, taking the paperwork, signing one copy and handing it back. You may have our followed dear Ogswatch and give my regards to your granny. Help him in with them, Sam. We usually only get four or five on a round, sir, Sam whispered as they pulled away. What will we do? Make several journeys, said Vimes. But the lads were taking the pip at the Michael, sir. They were laughing. It's past curfew, said Vimes. That's the law. Corporal Colon and Constable Wiglet were waiting at their post with three miscreants. One of them was Miss Palm. Vimes gave Sam the reins and jumped down to open the back of the wagon and fold down the steps. "'Sorry to see you here, miss,' he said. "'Apparently some new sergeant's been throwing his weight around,' said Rosie Palm, in a voice of solid ice. She refused his hand haughtily and climbed up into the wagon. Vimes realised that one of the other detainees was a woman too. She was shorter than Rosie and was giving him a look of pure bantam defiance. She was also holding a huge quilted work-basket.' Out of reflex, Vimes took it to help her up the steps. "'Sorry about this, miss,' he began. "'Get your hands off that!' She snatched the basket back and scrambled into the darkness. "'Pardon me,' said Vimes. "'This is Miss Batty,' said Rosie Palm, from the bench inside the wagon. "'She's a seamstress.' "'Well, I assume she... "'A seamstress,' I said,' said Miss Palm. "'With needles and thread.' also specialises in crochet. Er, is that a kind of extra? Vimes began. It's a tape of knitting, said Miss Batty from the darkness of the wagon. Fancy you not knowing that. You mean she's a real, said Vimes, but Rosie slammed the iron door. You just drive us on, she said, and when I see you again, John Keel, we are going to have words. There was some sniggering from the shadows inside the wagon, and then a yelp. It had been immediately preceded by the noise of a spiky heel being driven into an instep. Vimes signed the grubby form presented to him by Fred Colon and handed it back with a solid, fixed expression that made the man feel rather worried. "'Where to now, Sarge?' said Sam as they pulled away. "'Cable Street,' said Vimes. There was a murmur of dismay from the crated people behind them. "'That's not right,' muttered Sam. "'We're playing this by the rules,' said Vimes. "'You're going to have to learn why we have rules, Lance Constable. "'And don't you eyeball me. 
I've been eyeballed by experts, and you look as if you're desperate for the privy. Yeah, all right. But everyone knows they torture people, mumbled Sam. Do they? said Vimes. Then why doesn't anyone do anything about it? Because they torture people. Ah, at least I was getting a grip of basic social dynamics, thought Vimes. Sullen silence reigned in the seat beside him as the wagon rumbled through the streets, but he was aware of whispering behind him. Slightly louder than the background, he heard Rosie Palm's voice hiss, He won't. I'll bet anything. A few seconds later, a male voice, slightly the worse for drink and very much the worse for bladder-twisting dread, managed, uh, Sergeant, uh, we, I believe the fine is five dollars? Uh, I don't think it is, sir, said Vimes, keeping his eyes on the damp streets. There was some more frantic whispering, and then the voice said, uh, I have a very nice gold ring. Glad to hear it, sir, said Vimes. Everyone should have something nice. He patted his pocket for his silver cigar case, and for a moment felt more anger than despair, and more sorrow than anger. There was a future. There had to be. He remembered it but it only existed as that memory, and that was fragile as a reflection on a soap bubble, and maybe just as easily popped. Uh, I could perhaps include... If you try to offer me a bribe one more time, sir, said Vimes as the wagon turned into Cable Street, I shall personally give you a thumping. Be told. Perhaps there is some other, Rosie Palm began, as the lights of the Cable Street house came into view. "'We're not at home to a tuppenny upright either,' said Vimes, and heard the gasp. "'Shut up, the lot of you!' He reined Marilyn into a halt, jumped down, and pulled his clipboard from under the seat. Seven for you,' he said to the guard lounging against the door. "'Well,' said the guard, "'open it up and let's be having them then.' "'Right,' said Vimes, flicking through the paperwork. "'No problem,' he thrust the clipboard forward. "'Just sign here.' The man recoiled as though Vimes had tried to offer him a snake. "'What do you mean, sign?' he said. "'Hand him over!' "'You sign,' said Vimes woodenly. "'That's the rules. Prisoners move from one custody to another. You have to sign. More of my job's worth not to get a signature.' "'Your job's not worth spit,' snarled the man, grabbing the board. He looked at it blankly, and Vimes handed him the pencil. "'If you need any help with the difficult letters, let me know,' he said helpfully. Growling, the guard scrawled something on the paper and thrust it back. "'Now open up, please,' he said. "'Certainly,' said Vimes, glancing at the paper. "'But now I'd like to see some form of ID, thank you.' "'What?' "'It's not me, you understand,' said Vimes. "'But if I went back and showed my captain this piece of paper and he said to me, Vi <coughs> Keel, how do you know he's Henry the Amster? "'Well, I'd be a bit flummoxed, maybe even perplexed. "'Listen, we don't sign for prisoners.' "'We do, Henry,' said Vimes. "'No signature, no prisoners.' "'And you'll stop us from taking them, will you?' said Henry the Hamster, taking a few steps forward. "'You lay a hand on that door,' said Vimes, "'and I'll chop it off, will you?' "'I'll arrest you,' said Vimes. "'Obstruction would be a good start, "'but we can probably think of some more charges back at the station.' "'Arrest me, but I'm a copper, same as you.' "'Wrong again,' said Vimes. Oh, "'What is the trouble here?' said a voice. A small, thin figure appeared in the torchlight. 
Henry the Hamster took a step back and adopted a certain deferential pose. "'Officer won't hand over the curfew breakers, sir,' he said. "'And this is the officer?' said the figure, lurching towards Vimes with a curiously erratic gait. "'Yes, sir.' Vimes found himself under cool and not openly hostile inspection from a pale man with the screwed-up eyes of a pet rat. "'Ah!' said the man, opening a little tin and taking out a green throat pastille. "'Would you be killed by any chance? I have been hearing about you.' The man's voice was as uncertain as his walk, Pauses turned up in the wrong places. "'You hear about things quickly, sir.' "'A salute is generally in order, sergeant.' "'I don't see anything to salute, sir,' said Vimes. "'Good point. Good point. "'You are new, of course, but, you see, we, in the particulars, "'often find it necessary to wear plain clothes.' "'Like rubber aprons, if I recall correctly,' thought Vimes. "'Aloud,' he said, "'Yes, sir.' "'It was a good phrase.' It could mean any of a dozen things, or nothing at all. It was just punctuation until the man said something else. "'I'm Captain Swing,' said the man. "'Find the Swing. If you think the name is amusing, please mark, and get it over with. You may now salute.' Vimes saluted. Swing's mouth turned up at the corners very briefly. "'Good. Your first night on a hurry-up wagon, Sergeant.' "'Sir?' "'And you're here so early.' "'with a full load, too. "'Shall we take a look at your passengers?' "'He glanced in between the ironwork. "'Ah, yes. "'Good evening, Miss Palm, and an associate, I see. "'A du crochet, and what appear to be some party-goers. "'Well, well,' Swing stood back. "'What little scamps your street officers are, to be sure.' They really have scoured the streets. How they love their little jokes, Sergeant. Swing put his hand on the wagon door's handle, and there was a little noise which was nevertheless a thunderclap in the silence, and it was the sound of a sword moving very slightly in its scabbard. Swing stood stock still for a moment, and then delicately popped the pastel into his mouth. Aha! I think that perhaps this little catch can be thrown back, don't you, Sergeant? "'We don't want to make a mockery of the law. "'Take them away. Take them away.' "'Yes, sir.' "'But just one moment, please, Sergeant. "'Indulge me. Just a little hobby of mine.' "'Sir?' "'Swing had reached into a pocket of his overlong coat "'and pulled out a very large pair of steel calipers. "'Vimes flinched as they were opened up to measure the width of his head, "'the width of his nose and the length of his eyebrows.' Then a metal ruler was pressed against one ear. While doing this, Swing was mumbling under his breath. Then he closed the calipers with a snap and slipped them back. "'I must congratulate you, Sergeant,' he said, "'in overcoming your considerable natural disadvantages. "'Do you know you have the eye of a mass murderer? "'I am never wrong in these matters.' "'No, sir. Didn't know that, sir. "'We'll try to keep it closed, sir,' said Vimes.' Swing didn't crack a smile. However, I'm sure that when you have settled in, you and Corporal <laughs> Hamster here will get along like a house on fire. A house on fire, yes, sir. Don't let me detain you, Sergeant Keel. 
Vimes saluted. Swing nodded, turned in one movement as though he were on a swivel, and strode back into the watch-house. Or jerked, Vimes considered. The man moved in the same way talked in a curious mixture of speeds. It was as if he was powered by springs. When he moved a hand, the first few inches of movement were a blur, and then it gently coasted until it was brought into conjunction with whatever was the intended target. Sentences came out in spurts and pauses. There was no rhythm to the man. Vimes ignored the fuming corporal and climbed back onto the wagon. "'Turn us round, Lance Constable,' he said. "'Good night, Henry.' Sam waited until the wheels were rumbling over the cobbles before he turned wide-eyed to Vimes. "'You were going to draw on him, weren't you?' he said. "'You were, Sarge, weren't you?' "'You just keep your eyes on the road, Lance Constable.' "'But that was Captain Swing, that was. "'And when you told that man to prove he was Henry the Amster, "'I thought I'd wid <coughs> choke. "'You knew they weren't going to sign, right, Sarge? "'Cos if there's a bit of paper saying they've got someone, "'then if anyone wants to find out, just drive, Lance Constable.' "'But the boy was right.' For some reason, the unmentionables both loved and feared paperwork. They certainly generated a lot of it. They wrote everything down. They didn't like appearing on other people's paperwork, though. That worried them. "'I can't believe we got away with it, Sarge.' "'We probably haven't,' Vimes thought. "'But Swing has enough to worry him at the moment. He doesn't care very much about a big stupid sergeant.' He turned and banged on the ironwork. "'Sorry for the inconvenience, ladies and gentlemen, but it appears the unmentionables are not doing business tonight.' "'Looks like we'll have to do the interrogation ourselves. "'We're not very experienced at this, so I hope we don't get it wrong. "'Now, listen carefully. "'Are any of you serious conspirators bent on the overthrow of the government?' "'There was a stunned silence from within the wagon. "'Come on, come on,' said Vimes. "'I haven't got all night. "'Does anyone want to overthrow Lord Winder by force?' "'Well, no,' said the voice of Miss Palm. "'Or by crochet.' "'I heard that,' said another female voice sharply. "'No one? Shame,' said Vimes. "'Well, that's good enough for me. "'Lance Constable, is it good enough for you?' "'Uh, yes, Sarge.' "'In that case, we'll drop you all off on our way home, "'and my charming assistant, Lance Constable Vimes, "'will take, oh, half a dollar off each of you "'for travelling expenses for which you will get a receipt. "'Thank you for travelling with us, "'and we hope you will consider the hurry-out wagon "'in your future curfew-breaking arrangements.' "'Vimes could hear shocked whispering behind him. This was not how things were supposed to go these days. Sarge, said Lance Constable Vimes. Yep. Have you really got the eye of a mass murderer? In the pocket of my other suit, yes. <laughs> Sam was quiet for a while. When he spoke again, he seemed to have something new on his mind. Er, uh, Sarge? Yes, lad. What's a tuppity upright, Sarge? It's a kind of jam donut, lad. Did your mum ever make em? Yes, Sarge. Sarge? "'Yes, lad?' "'I think it probably means something else as well, Sarge,' said Sam, sniggering. "'Something a bit rude.' "'The whole of life is a learning process, Lance Constable.' They got the wagon back to the yard ten minutes later, and by that time Vimes knew that a new rumour was fanning out across the city. Young Sam had already whispered things to the other officers as curfew-breakers were dropped off. And nobody gossips like a copper. They didn't like the unmentionables.' Like petty criminals everywhere, the watchmen prided themselves that there were some depths to which they would not sink. There had to be some things below you, even if it was only mudworms. Rosie Palm bolted the door of her flat, leaned on it and stared at Sandra. "'What is he?' said Sandra, dumping her work basket on the table. It clanked within. "'Is he on our side?' 
You heard the lads, snapped Rosie. No bribes now. Then he drags us off to Swing's Bastards, and then he won't hand us over. I could kill him. I rescued him from the gutter, got Mossy to patch him up, and suddenly he's playing big silly games. Yes. What is a tuppenny upright? said Sandra brightly. Miss Palm paused. She quite enjoyed Sandra's company, and the extra rent certainly came in handy, but there were times she wondered whether, A, she should have a talk with the girl, or, B, she was being very gently wound up. She suspected the latter, since Sandra was making more money than her most of the time. It was getting embarrassing. "'It's a kind of jam donut, she said. "'Now, you'd better go and hide the—' Someone knocked on the door behind her. She motioned Sandra through the bead curtain, took a moment to pull herself together, and opened the door a fraction. There was a very small old man standing in the hall. Everything about him sloped hopelessly downwards. His grey moustache could have been stolen from a walrus, or a bloodhound that had just been given some very bad news. His shoulders sagged listlessly. Even parts of his face seemed to be losing the battle with gravity. He held his cap in his hands and was twisting it nervously. "'Yes?' said Rosie. Uh, "'It's a seamstress on the sign,' the old man mumbled. "'And, well, since my old woman died, you know, what with one thing and another, "'never been any good at doing it for myself,' he gave Rosie a look of sheer, helpless embarrassment. She glanced down at the sack by his feet and picked it up. It was full of very clean but very worn socks. Every single one had holes in the heel and toe. Sandra, she said, I think this one's for you. It was so very early in the morning that late at night wasn't quite over. White mist hung everywhere in the streets and deposited droplets like tiny pearls on Vimes's shirt as he prepared to break the law. If you stood on the roof of the privy behind the watch-house and steadied yourself on the drain-pipe, one of the upstairs windows would bounce open if you hit it with the palm of your hand in exactly the right place. It was a useful bit of information, and Vimes wondered if he should pass it on to young Sam. Every honest copper ought to know how to break into his own nick. Tilden had limped home long ago, but Vimes did a quick sweep of his office, and it was with great satisfaction that he did not see what he hadn't expected to be there. Down below, a few of the more conscientious officers were signing off before heading home. He waited in the shadows until the door had banged shut for the last time for several minutes. Then he made his way down the stairs and into the locker room. He had been issued with a key to his own locker, but still oiled the hinge from a small bottle before he opened it. He had not, in fact, put anything in there yet, but behold, there was a rumpled sack on the floor. He lifted it up. Well done, lads. Inside was Captain Tilden's silver inkwell. Vimes stood up and looked around at the lockers with their ancient carved initials and occasional knife marks on the doors. He pulled from his pocket the little black cloth roll he'd taken from the evidence locker earlier. A selection of lockpicks glinted in the grey light. Vimes wasn't a genius with the hooks and rakes, but the cheap and worn door locks were hardly a major challenge. Really, it was just a matter of choosing and afterwards he walked back through the mists. He was horrified to find he was feeling good again. It was a betrayal of Sybil and the future watch, and even of his grace Sir Samuel Vimes, who had to think about the politics of distant countries and manpower requirements, and how to raise that damn boat that the river division kept sinking. And yes, he wanted to go back, or forwards, or across, or whatever. He really did. He wanted to go home so much he could taste it, of course he did, but he couldn't. Not yet. And here he was, and, as Dr. Lorne said, 
you did the job. And currently, the job involved survival on the street in the great game of silly buggers, and Vimes knew all about that game, oh yes. And there was a thrill in it. It was the nature of the beast. And thus he was walking along lost in thought when the men jumped him from out of the mouth of a shadowy alley. The first one got a foot in the stomach, because the beast does not fight fair. Vimes stepped aside and grabbed the other one. He felt the knife skitter along his breastplate as he lowered his head and tugged the man hard into the helmet. The man folded up quite neatly on the cobbles. Vimes spun around to the first man, who was bent almost double, and wheezing, but had nevertheless kept hold of his knife, which he waved around in front of him like some kind of talisman. The point made erratic figures of eight in the air. "'Drop it,' said Vimes. "'I won't ask again.' He sighed and pulled an object out of his back pocket. It was black and tapered and made of leather filled with lead shot. He'd banned them in the modern watch, but he knew some officers had acquired them, and if he judged the man to be sensible, then he didn't know they'd got them. Sometimes an argument had to be ended quickly, and there were worse alternatives. He brought the blackjack down on the man's arm with a certain amount of care. There was a whimper, and the knife bounced off the cobbles. "'We'll leave your chum to sleep it off,' he said. "'But you are coming to see the doctor, Henry. Are you coming quietly?' A few minutes later, Dr. Lorne opened his back door and Vimes brushed past the body over his shoulders. "'You minister to all sorts, right?' said Vimes. "'Within reason, but... "'This one's an unmentionable,' said Vimes. "'Tried to kill me. Need some medicine.' "'Why is he unconscious?' said the doctor. He was wearing a huge rubber apron and rubber boots. "'Didn't want to take his medicine.' Lorne sighed, and with a hand that held a mop, he waved Vimes towards an inner door. "'Bring him right into the surgery,' he said. "'I'm afraid I'm cleaning up after Mr. Salciferous in the waiting-room.' "'Why, what did he do?' "'He bust.' Vimes, his natural inquisitiveness suddenly curbed, carried the body into Lorne's inner sanctum. It looked quite different from when Vimes had last seen it, but then he'd barely been capable of taking in details. There was the table and a workbench, and all along one wall were racks of bottles.' No two bottles were the same size. In one or two of them, things floated. On another wall were the instruments. "'When I die,' said Lorne, inspecting the patient, "'I'm going to instruct them to put a bell on my tombstone, "'just so as I can have the pleasure of not getting up when people ring.' "'Put him down, please. Looks like concussion.' "'That was me hitting him,' said Vimes helpfully. "'You broke his arm, too.' "'That's right.' "'You made a very neat job of it.' "'easy to set and plaster him up. "'Is there something wrong?' "'Vimes was still staring at the instruments. "'Use all these,' he said. "'Yes, some of them are experimental, though,' "'said Lorne, busying himself at his work-table. "'Well, I'd hate you to use this one on me,' "'said Vimes, picking a strange instrument "'like a couple of paddles tied with string.' "'Lorne sighed. "'Sergeant, there are no circumstances "'where the things you're holding "'could possibly be used on you.' he said, his hands working busily. They are of a feminine nature. For the seamstresses, said Vimes, putting the pliers down in a hurry. Those things, no, the ladies of the night take pride these days in never requiring that sort of thing. My work with them is more of, shall we say, a preventative nature. Teaching them to use thimbles, that sort of thing, said Vimes. Yes, it's amazing how far you can push a metaphor, isn't it? Vimes prodded the paddles again. They were quite alarming. "'Your married sergeant,' said Lorne, "'was Rosie Wright?' "'Er, uh, yeah. "'My wife is, er, uh, elsewhere, though.' 
He picked the things up and dropped them hastily again with a clatter. "'Well, it's just as well to be aware that giving birth isn't like shelling peas,' said the doctor. "'I should bloody well hope not. "'Although I have to say that the midwives seldom refer anything to me. "'They say men shouldn't fish around where they don't belong. "'We might as well be living in caves.' Lorne looked down at his patient. "'In the words of the philosopher Skeptum, the founder of my profession, "'am I going to get paid for this?' Vimes investigated the money-bag on the man's belt. "'Well, six dollars do it,' he said. "'Why would the unmentionables attack you, Sergeant? "'You're a policeman.' "'I am, but they aren't. "'Don't you know about them?' "'I've patched up a few of their guests, yes,' said Lorne, "'and Vimes noted the caution.' It didn't pay to know too much in this town. People with curious dislocations, hot wax burns, that sort of thing. Well, I had a little brush with Captain Swing last night, Vimes said, and he was as polite as hell to me about it. But I'd bet my boots he knows that this lad and his friend came after me. That's his style. He'd probably want to see what I'd do. He's not the only one interested in you. "'said Lorne. "'I got a message that Rosie Parr wants to see you. "'Well, I assume she meant you. "'That ungrateful bastard was the actual term she used.' "'I think I owe her some money,' said Vimes, "'but I've no idea how much.' "'Don't ask me,' said Lorne, "'smoothing the plaster with his hand. "'She generally names her price up front.' "'I mean a finder's fee, or whatever it was. "'Yes, I know. "'Can't help you there, I'm afraid,' said Lorne. Vimes watched him working for a while and said, "'Know anything about Miss Batty? "'The seamstress. "'She hasn't been here long.' "'And she's really a seamstress.' "'For the sake of precision,' said Dr. Lorne, "'let us say she's a needlewoman. "'Apparently she heard there was a lot of work for seamstresses in the big city "'and had one or two amusing misunderstandings "'before someone told her exactly what was meant.' "'One of them involved me removing a crochet hook from a man's ear last week. "'Now she just hangs out with the rest of the girls. "'Why?' "'Because she's making a fortune, that's why,' said the doctor. "'Hasn't it ever occurred to you, Sergeant, "'that sometimes people go to a massage parlour for a real massage, for example?' There's ladies all over this city with discreet signs up that say things like, "'Trousers are repaired while you wait.' and a small but significant number of men make the same mistake as Sandra. There's lots of men work here in the city, and leave their wives back home, and sometimes, you know, a man feels these arches, like for a sock without holes, and a shirt with more than one button. The ladies pass on the work. Apparently it's quite hard to find a really good needlewoman in this city. They don't like being confused with their seamstresses. "'I just wondered why she hangs around street corners after curfew with a big sewing basket,' said Vimes. Lorne shrugged. "'Can't help you there. "'Right, I've finished with this gentleman. "'It'd be helpful if he lies still for a while.' He indicated the racks of bottles behind him. "'About how long will you want him to lie still for?' "'You can do that.' "'Oh, yes.' It's not accepted Ankh-Morpork medical practice, but since Ankh-Morpork medical practice would consist of hitting him on the head with a mallet, he's probably getting the best of the deal. No, I meant that you doctors aren't supposed to hurt people, are you? Only in the course of normal incompetence. But I don't mind sending him to sleepy land for another twenty minutes. Of course, if you want to wham him with the mallet, I can't stop you. The last guest of swing I treated had several fingers pointing entirely the wrong way. 
so if you'd like to give him a few wallops for good luck, I could point out some quite sensitive areas. No, thanks. I'll just haul him out the back way and drop him in an alley. Is that all? No. Then I'll sign my name on his damn plaster cast so he sees it when he wakes up. In bloody big letters so it won't rub off. Now that's what I call a sensitive area, said Lorne. You're an interesting man, Sergeant. You make enemies like a craftsman. I've never been interested in needlework, said Vimes, hoisting the man on his shoulder. But what sort of things would a needlewoman have in her workbasket, do you think? Oh, I don't know. Needles, thread, scissors, wool, that kind of thing, said Mossy Lawn. Not very heavy things, then, said Vimes. Not really. Why do you ask? Oh, no reason, said Vimes, making a small mental note. Just a thought. I'll go and drop off our friend here while I've still got some mist to lurk in. Fine. I'll have breakfast on when you get back. It's liver. Calves. The beast remembers. This time, Vimes slept soundly. He had always found it easier to sleep during the day. Twenty-five years on nights had ground their nocturnal groove in his brain. Darkness was easier somehow. He knew how to stand still, a talent that few possess and how to merge into the shadows, how to guard, in fact, and see without being seen. He remembered Find the Swing. A lot of it was history. The revolt would have happened with Swing or without him, but he was, as it were, the tip of the boil. He'd been trained at the Assassin's School, and should never have been allowed to join the Watch. He had too much brain to be a copper, at least too much of the wrong kind of brain. But Swing had impressed Window with his theories, had been let in as a sergeant, and then promoted to captain immediately. Vimes had never known why. It was probably because the officers were offended at seeing such a fine gentleman pounding the streets with the rest of the oiks. Besides, he had a weak chest or something. Vimes wasn't against intellect. Anyone with enough savvy to let go of a doorknob could be a street monster in the old days, but to make it above sergeant you needed a grab bag of guile cunning and street wisdom that could pass for intelligence in a poor light. Swing, though, started in the wrong place. He didn't look around and watch and learn and then say, this is how people are, how do we deal with it? No, he sat and thought, this is how people ought to be, how do we change them? And that was a good enough thought for a priest, but not for a copper, because Swing's patient, pedantic way of operating had turned policing on its head. There had been that weapons law for a start. Weapons were involved in so many crimes that, Swing reasoned, reducing the number of weapons had to reduce the crime rate. Vimes wondered if he'd sat up in bed in the middle of the night and hugged himself when he dreamed that one up. Confiscate all weapons and crime would go down. It made sense. It would have worked, too, if only there had been enough coppers, say, three per citizen. Amazingly, quite a few weapons were handed in. The flaw, though, was one that had somehow managed to escape Swing, and it was this. Criminals don't obey the law. It's more or less a requirement for the job. They had no particular interest in making the streets safer for anyone except themselves. And they couldn't believe what was happening. It was like hogs watch every day. Some citizens took the not unreasonable view that something had gone a bit askew if only naughty people were carrying arms, and they got arrested in large numbers. 
The average copper, when he's been kicked in the nadges once too often, and has reason to believe that his bosses don't much care, has an understandable tendency to prefer to arrest those people who won't instantly try to stab him, especially if they act a bit snotty and wear more expensive clothes than he personally can afford. The rate of arrests shot right up, and Swing had been very pleased about that. Admittedly, most of the arrests had been for possessing weaponry after dark, but quite a few had been for assaults on the watch by irate citizens. That was assault on a city official, a very heinous and despicable crime, and, as such, far more important than all those thefts that were going on everywhere. It wasn't that the city was lawless. It had plenty of laws. It just didn't offer many opportunities not to break them. Swing didn't seem to have grasped the idea that the system was supposed to take criminals and, in some rough-and-ready fashion, force them into becoming honest men. Instead, he'd taken honest men and turned them into criminals, and the watch, by and large, into just another gang. And then, just when the whole wretched stew was thickening, he'd invented craniometrics. Bad coppers had always had their ways of finding out if someone was guilty. Back in the old days... (laughs) Now, these included thumbscrews, hammers, small pointed bits of wood, and, of course, the common desk drawer, always a boon to the copper in a hurry. Swing didn't need any of this. He could tell if you were guilty by looking at your eyebrows. He measured people. He used calipers and a steel ruler, and he quietly wrote down the measurements and did some sums, such as dividing the length of the nose by the circumference of the head and multiplying it by the width of the space between the eyes, and on such figures he could infallibly tell you that you were devious, untrustworthy and congenitally criminal. After you had spent the next twenty minutes in the company of his staff and their less sophisticated tools of inquiry, he would amazingly be proved right. Everyone was guilty of something. Vimes knew that. Every copper knew it. That was how you maintained your authority. Everyone talking to a copper was secretly afraid you could see their guilty secret written on their forehead. You couldn't, of course. But neither were you supposed to drag someone off the street and smash their fingers with a hammer until he told you what it was. Swing would probably have ended up face down in some alley somewhere if it wasn't for the fact that Winder had found him a useful tool. No one could sniff out conspiracies like Swing, and so he'd ended up running the unmentionables, most of whom made Sergeant Nock look like good copper of the month. Vimes had always wondered how the man had kept control, but maybe it was because the thugs recognised, in some animal way, a mind which had arrived at thuggery by the long route, and was capable of devising in the name of reason the kind of atrocities that unreason could only dream of. It wasn't easy living in the past. You couldn't whack someone for what they were going to do, or what the world was going to find out later. You couldn't warn people either. You didn't know what would change the future, but if he understood things right... History tended to spring back into shape. All you could change was the bits around the edges, the fine details. There was nothing he could do about the big stuff. The lilac was still going to bloom. The revolution was going to happen. Well, a kind of revolution. That wasn't really the word for what it was. There was the People's Republic of Treacle-Mine Road. Truth, justice, freedom, reasonably priced love and a hard-boiled egg. That would live for all of a few hours, a strange candle that burned too briefly and died like a firework. And there was the scouring of the house of pain and the... Anyway, you did the job that was in front of you, like unimaginative coppers always did. He got up around one in the afternoon, 
Lorne was closeted in his surgery, doing something that involved some serious whimpering on the part of something else. Vimes knocked on the door. After a moment, it was opened a fraction. Dr Lorne was wearing a face mask and holding a very long pair of tweezers in his hand. Yes? I'm going out, said Vimes. Trouble? Not too bad. Slidy Harris was unlucky at cards last night. That's all. Played the Ace of Hearts. That's an unlucky card? It is if Big Tony knows he didn't deal it to you. But I'll soon have it removed. If you're going to injure anyone tonight, can you do it before I go to bed? Thank you. Lorne shut the door. Vimes nodded at the woodwork and went out to stretch his legs and get some lunch. It was waiting for him on a tray around the neck of a man. Quite a young man now, but there was something about the expression as of a rat who was expecting cheese right around the next corner and had been expecting cheese around the last corner too and the corner before that. And, although the world had turned out so far to be full of corners, yet completely innocent of any cheese at all, was nevertheless quite certain that, just around the corner, cheese awaited. Vimes stared. But why should he be surprised? As long ago as he could remember, there was always someone selling highly suspicious, chemically reclaimed pork products in this town. The seller was very familiar, just... younger... His expression lit up at the sight of an unfamiliar face. The seller liked to meet people who hadn't yet bought one of his pies. "'Ah, Sergeant! Hey, what's a little crown mean?' "'Sergeant at arms,' said Vimes. "'That's like Sergeant with all the trimmings.' "'Well, Sergeant, could I interest you in a very special sausage in a bun? Guaranteed no rat. One hundred percent organic. All pork shaved before mixing.' "'Why not?' thought Vimes.' and his stomach, liver, kidneys, and lengths of intestine all supplied reasons, but he fumbled in his pocket for some change anyway. "'How much, Mr. Uh, Vimes remembered in time, and made a show of looking at the name on the front of the tray. Uh, "'Dibbler?' Four pence, Sergeant.' "'And that's cutting your own throat, eh?' said Vimes jovially. "'Pardon?' said Dibbler, looking puzzled. "'I said, a price like that's cutting your own throat, eh?' "'Cutting my own... throat?' said Vimes desperately. Oh. Dibbler thought about this. Right. Yeah, it is. You never said it through a word. So you'll have one then. I notice it says on your tray, Dibbler Enterprises Est, said Vimes. Shouldn't it say when you were established? Should it? Dibbler looked down at his tray. How long you been going? said Vimes, selecting a pie. Let's see, what year is this? A uh, dancing dog, I think. "'Since Tuesday, then,' said Dibbler. His face brightened. "'But this is only the start, mister. This is just to get a stake together. In a year or two I'm going to be a big man in this town.' "'I believe you,' said Vimes. "'I really do.' Dibbler looked down at his tray again as Vimes strolled off. "'Cutting my own throat. Cutting my own throat,' he mumbled to himself, and seemed to like the sound of it. But then he focused more clearly on the tray and his face went pale. "'Sergeant!' he shouted. "'Don't eat the pie!' Vimes, a few yards away, stopped with the pie halfway to his mouth. "'What's wrong with it?' he said. "'Silly me. I mean, what's uniquely wrong with it?' "'Nothing. I mean, uh, these are better!' Vimes risked another look at the tray. They all looked the same to him. Dibbler's pies quite often looked appetising. Therein lay their one and only charm. "'I can't see any difference,' he said. "'Yeah, yeah, there, there is,' said Dibbler, sweat beading on his forehead. "'See, 
The one you got has got a little pattern of pastry pigs on it, and all the others are pastry sausages. I'd hate to think that, you know, I thought you were a pig or anything, so if you'll hand it over, I'll happily give you a, a, another one. That uh, that one's not the right one. Uh, not that it's the wrong one, but uh, uh, with the pig and everything. Vimes looked into the man's eyes. Dibbler had yet to learn that friendly blankness that thirty years of selling truly organic pies would call into being. While the man stared in horror, he took a large bite out of the pie. It was everything that he had expected, and nothing that he could identify. Yum, he said, and, with some concentration, eyes fixed on the luckless pieman, finished it all. I think it's quite possible no one else makes pies like you do, Mr Dibbler, he said, licking his fingers in case he might want to shake hands with someone later on. You ate it all, said Dibbler. Was that wrong? said Vimes. And now relief rose off the man like smoke off a greenwood fire. What? No, that's fine. Jolly good. Want another one to help it down? Half price. No, no, one is more than enough, said Vimes, backing away. You finished every bit, said Dibbler. That was right, wasn't it? said Vimes. Oh, yeah, sure, yeah, obviously. Got me going, said Vimes, moving on down the lane. I'll look forward to seeing you again when I've got less appetite. He waited until he was well out of sight before taking a few random turns in the network of alleys. Then he stepped into the shadow of a deep doorway and felt in his mouth for the piece of pie that had seemed curiously unchewable even by pie standards. Usually, if you found something more than usually hard or crunchy in one of Dibbler's famous pork pies, the trick was to either swallow it and hope for the best or spit it out with your eyes closed. But Vimes felt around between gum and cheek and fished out a folded piece of paper, stained with unknowable juices. He unfolded it. In smudged pencil, but still decipherable, it read, Morphic Street, nine o'clock tonight, password swordfish. Swordfish. Every password was swordfish. Whenever anyone tried to think of a word that no one would ever guess, they always chose swordfish. It was just one of those strange quirks of the human mind. That explained the guilt, anyway. A plot. Another damn plot in a city full of plots. Did he need to know about plots? Anyway, he knew about this one. Morphic Street. The famous Morphic Street conspiracy. <laughs> he pushed the greasy scrap into a pocket and then hesitated. Someone was being quiet. Overlaid on the distant street noises was a sort of hollow in the sounds, filled by careful breathing, and the hairs on the back of his neck were standing up. Quietly, he pulled the blackjack out of his rear pocket. Now, what were the options? He was a copper, and someone was creeping up on him. If they weren't a copper, then they were in the wrong, because he was a copper. If they were a copper too, then they were one of Swing's crew, and therefore in the wrong, because he was a better copper than them, and so were things floating in gutters. And therefore, delivering a swift bucketful of darkness had no obvious downside. On the other hand... Thieves, assassins and swings men, by all accounts, did a lot of creeping up on people and were probably pretty good at it, whereas the person tracking him was keeping their back so close to the wall he could hear the scraping. That meant they were probably just a member of the public, with something on their mind and he was not inclined to add several ounces of lead shot simply for that reason, because he'd like to believe he wasn't that sort of copper. He settled for stepping out into the alley and saying, Yeah? A boy stared up at him. It had to be a boy. Nature would not have been so cruel as to do that to a girl. 
No single feature in itself was more than passably ugly, but the combination was greater than the sum of the parts. There was also the smell. It wasn't bad as such. It just wasn't entirely human. There was something feral about it. Eh, said its pinched-up face. Look, tell you what, mister, you tell me where you're going and I'll stop following you. Have we got a deal? Costs you no more than a penny and that's a special price. Sabby will pay me a lot more than that to stop following them. Vimes continued to stare. The creature was wearing an oversized evening dress jacket, shiny with grease and greenish with age, and a top hat that must once have been trodden on by a horse. But the bits that were visible between the two were regrettably familiar. Oh, no, he moaned. No, no, no. You're right, mister. No, no, no. Oh, ye gods, it had to happen, didn't it? You want us to go and fetch Mossy, mister? Vimes pointed an accusing finger. You're knobby knobs, right? The urchin backed away. Might be. So what? Is that a crime? He turned to run, but Vimes's hand fell heavily on the shoulder. Some people might say so. You're knobby knobs, son of Maisie knobs and Sconner knobs. Probably, probably. Brain done nothing, mister. Vimes bent down to look into eyes that peered out at the world through a mask of grime. How about whizzing wipers, snitching tinklers, pulling wobblers, flogging tumblers and running rumbles? Nobby's brow creased in genuine puzzlement. What's pulling wobblers mean? he said. Vimes gave him a similar look. Street parley had changed a lot in thirty years. That's stealing trifles, small items, isn't it? No, 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 mister, that's tottering nevils, said Nobby, relaxing. But you ain't doing badly for someone who's new. What's oil of angels? Memory flicked a card. A bribe, said Vimes. And a dimber, said Nobby, grinning. Easy. Could be a head beggar, could be just a handsome man. Well done. Bet you don't know how to flee a jade, though. Once again, from a dusty recess, a memory unrolled. This one stuck in your mind. Dear me, do you know what? What a shame in one so young, said Vimes. That's when you want to sell a broken-down horse and have to make it a bit frisky in front of the punters, and so you take some fresh, raw, hot ginger, lift up its tail and push the ginger. Caw! said Nobby, suddenly impressed. Everyone says you're a real quick learner, and that's true enough. You could have been born here. Why are you following me, Nobby Nobs? said Vimes. The urchin held out a grubby hand. Some street language never changes. Vimes pulled out sixpence. It shone in Nobby's palm like a diamond in a chimney-sweep's ear. "'One of them's a lady,' he said and grinned. The hand stayed out. "'That was a bloody sixpence I just gave you, kid,' Vimes growled. "'Yeah, but I got to think of—' Vimes grabbed the lapels of Nobby's greasy coat and lifted him up and was mildly shocked to realise that there was practically no weight there. "'Street urchin,' he thought. "'Urchin sounds about right, spiky, slimy and smelling slightly of rotting seaweed.' But there's hundreds of them round here, clawing a living off the very margins. And as I recall, Nobby was one of the sharpest, and as trustworthy as a chocolate hammer. But that's OK. There's ways to deal with that. How much, he said, for you to work for me all the time? I've got customers to think of, he began. Yeah, but I'm the one holding you up in one hand, right? said Vimes. With his oversized boots dangling a foot above the ground, Nobby considered his position. All the time? Right. Eh... For something like that, I've got to be looking at a lordship every day. A dollar? Guess again. Er, uh, half a dollar? Not a chance. 
a dollar a week, and I won't make your life the utter misery which, Nobby, I assure you, I can do in so many little ways. Still dangling, Nobby tried to work all this out. So, I'll be uh, kind of like a copper, right? He said, grinning artfully. Kind of. Number one suspect says it's a good life being a copper because you can pinch stuff without getting nicked. He's got that right, said Vimes. And he says if anyone gives you lip, you can bop em one and chuck em in the tanty. Nobby went on. I'd like to be a copper one day. Who's number one suspect? That's what our ma'am calls Sconner, our dad. Er, uh, payment up front, yeah? Nobby added, hopefully. What do you think? Ah, right. No, eh? Correct. But I'll tell you what. He lowered Nobby to the ground. Light as a feather, he thought. You come with me, kid. End of CD 4